Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi everybody, this is The Ruck. It's getting exciting. This is the last Ruck but one before uh, your Ruck team disappears to travel first class all round France for the World Cup, or first class-ish. A weekend of magnificent rugby, and I've got two great, magnificent journalists to talk about it. On my left, fighting out of Scotland, the Rugby World editor, Big Al Dimmock. Al, I was with you for most of the weekend, so I don't really need to ask you what you did, but wh- how, how did you enjoy it? What was the what was the best bit of it? Yeah, I think you could bill me as frightened from Scotland after watching that South Africa performance, and we'll we'll get into talking about South Africa versus New Zealand. I was at that on Friday night, and then I was at Twickenham with you, Steve. Very different affairs, and we'll we'll get into why they're very different. But that's it now, isn't it? That's the shadow boxing over now. We're into the the actual fight proper going forward, and, and bloody hell, what the hell's going to happen? Exactly. Also uh, on the panel, fighting out of Pontier. Has anyone heard of Pontier? I have. It's a rather nice place. Is Elgin Alderman, the rising star of News International and the Times Group. Elgin, let's start at the end. Fantastic and fascinating game in Paris yesterday. Absolutely. The, the atmosphere at Stade de France, if that gave us a flavour for what we're going to see on the opening night between France and New Zealand, then we're in for a, a remarkable Friday night in Paris. And also Australia, who... Lost 41-17, Eddie Jones now lost five games in a row. They'll be there as well against Georgia. But uh, there were times where the crowd was so loud that Julian Marchand just couldn't hear the call at the line-out and uh, two dummy throws in a row. But, uh, yeah, we saw a surprising bit of weakness from France in the the pack, but out wide, Antoine Dupont survived an hour, got off the field without an injury, and uh, the backs were in magnificent flow. So uh, they're set up very nicely for their home World Cup. OK, that's set up for us to discuss uh, all the weekend's action. Uh, we'll be thrown forward to the World Cup and we will also be naming our best guest as the World Cup winner. Then we'll be doing God or Goddess of the Week. Uh, thanks for joining us. Here we go. Al, Aldermac, uh, I think a game on Friday at Twickenham in front of was it 80,000 people 
really got the juices flowing for WhatsApp. Um, I'll tell you what, if I was... Fans back home won't, won't like to hear this, but if I was a suit working for Sanzar, I would think about having a game every rugby championship at Twickenham because they could have doubled the price and sold it out. The atmosphere was electric. The weather didn't dampen things at all. Um, it just seemed to be an incredible curtain raiser for the curtain raiser, if that makes sense. And what a performance from South Africa. I mean, the All Blacks... You know, they seemed shell-shocked at the end of the game, and rightly so, because South Africa threw everything at them. And we'll make a big point about the fact that South Africa, due to a late change with an injury to Billy LaRue, went for a 7-1 split on the bench, and everyone went, oh, no. <laughs> to be honest, they had the physical dominance anyway, but when they brought the bomb squad on, it was a real shock uh, for everyone. And we're going to see... We know The thing with South Africa is we know what's coming in the World Cup. New Zealand knew what was coming, and they couldn't do a damn thing about it. Oh, the 7-1 thing which you mentioned to me is, is slightly bizarre because some players can come on and play as if they've been there all the time but others come on and take some time to get into the game seven forwards is a heck of a lot to bring on all at once all at once and it happened what, the 46th minute of the game as well so it was it was a brand new pack and if you're the New Zealand pack that had been struggling against the South Africans there it's like oh it's the same, and that's the thing it's the, the same level of quality like the front row that comes on for the Springboks is international world class front row that could play for anyone in the world. So they're coming on after going. Oh well, Malcolm Marks is 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 nicking ball and scoring tries and, and looking exceptional. And now we've got to bring on Bongi and Banambi, who's just going to be as physical. And to be honest, it just gave an armchair ride to the South African team. But it helps when you've got someone like Cannon Moody, who looks purpose built to play outside centre. So. They'll bemoan the lack of a second playmaker from the bench because Billy LaRue is unbelievably good at running a game from the second receiver for them in attack. And that's what makes that's one of the things that makes the Springboks very special. But it's bizarre, yes, I'd agree with you, but it's completely in character. And speaking, hearing the coaches after the game, it seems like we're going to see a fair bit of that in the World Cup, or at least it's a, an option in the back pocket that they're not worried about using at all. Yeah, Elgin, um, it's it's traditional to say, look, that was only a one-off and we know the All Blacks will be uh, fantastic in the World Cup. But in your assessment, did that real, did the earth really move there? Because anyone who's got their money on the All Blacks would surely now be just that little bit less confident. I think the earth does move because such has been New Zealand's dominance in international rugby since international rugby began that they simply don't lose by 28 points. So it doesn't matter what the occasion is or who the opposition is. If New Zealand only scrapes seven points and concede 35, then that is a huge moment. And as Al said, you know, with South Africa, obviously the focus is always on the bomb squad, but the likes of Moody and they've got Colby to come back in, they're not as boring as people say they are. And, and if they do have some of the biggest, baddest forwards in world rugby, then, you know, of course they're going to use them. But then also they have some of the most thrilling backs in world rugby to, to go with it too. So it was a real statement by South Africa. Well said, it's a, it's a thing, we could probably talk about this a fair bit, and, and style of rugby that teams are playing is... An interesting topic, particularly when we get to talking about England and just what the hell their identity is at the moment. It's clear that the top bracket of rugby teams in the world at the moment have a distinctive style. South Africa, for all we say about the predictability of how they're going to play, they have a very distinct identity and it's to allow playmakers like that to get a foothold in the game. I mentioned Billy LaRue, he will be a, a key component of what they do in the World Cup. You know, New Zealand, since Joe Schmidt has come in, there's been a very clear use of ball in the air and contestable kicks. And that's something that they've 
brought in, you know, after after the horrible year that they had by their standards last year, they really changed things up and they try and move the ball side to side. Scotland have a very distinctive style of play that they want, you know, everything coming through Finn Russell trying to get to the wide channels. There's all of that. South Africa's one is one that we'll keep an eye on because there's some people you speak to and we had a piece for Rugby World recently where we had uh, former England defence coach Paul Gustard having a look at where people's identities are at the moment and South Africa seemed to be playing a bit more mm-hmm. than we've got mm-hmm. so when you see someone like Kanan Moody come on and go he just looks a complete natural and some of that is obviously his inherent skill set so he scores a try that was chalked off for being offside, but he you know, was weaving in and out of defenders. That's a scary proposition to see those kind of guys unleashed. And I think you said it yourself, Stephen. I'm keen to get your view on this, actually. is Do you think this is a better version of the Springboks than we saw even four years ago? I, I do. Uh, I should hold, hold my hand up. I'll, um, a leading uh, monthly rugby magazine, which you're the editor, Rugby World, asked me a few months ago to assess the southern the challenges of the Springboks. I said, they've bloody had it. They're all old. They've been there too long. They're boring as hell. And uh, will you accept my apologies for that? Um, and, and let me give me one more chance. Okay. Thank you very much. You can get off your knees now, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you're quite right. I think this is a bop team. We, we won't be able to make fun of them because, oh, they're just boring, because they aren't. And, and uh, you know what? They could win the World Cup playing... Typical bot rugby, but with added extras, which will be fantastic. Let's, let's just um, we'll just go on to the time frame here. Might be a bit confusing, but I do want to go to um, Elgin now about yesterday's game. For a long time, Aussie was sort of in it, and and France was a little bit halting at Elgin. Did France do enough to maintain their status as co-favourites, or were there any weaknesses? The surprise weakness was that Australia had the better of them at scrum time. Angus Bell, in particular, was excellent for Australia, not only with his ball kang, but also at scrum time. He's had a great few months, Angus Bell. Yeah. Absolutely. And you had the size of Weenie Artonio going backwards, which is quite something. So that was a surprise. What we did see from France was that, especially in that first half, they did not have much ball or territory. And yet the quite old-fashioned accumulating of a score from Tom Ramos, who kicked four penalty goals during the game and, and missed another attempt... And it meant that even though Australia had the majority of the opportunities, France built their score. And then in the second half, uh, when there was a yellow card for Suliasi Vunivalu, then they turned it on and they found their enterprise. And suddenly Antoine Dupont was taking quick taps and doing kick passes in his own half. And you had Dupont and Mathieu Jalibert not only making breaks, but also finding their wingers out wide with delicate little chips for tries. And then Damien Penault running in from halfway with a run chip and chase of his own. So we saw that they had all the flair that we know they have out wide. Jonathan Dante was superb as a hard-running 12, as we know he is. The, the one weakness, like I said, that you perhaps don't expect to see from them was was at the scrum time. But but generally, it was a very clinical, efficient 24-point victory. Interesting about Jonathan Dante because um, um, the, the first try was scored by Dante in a move that was unbelievably telegraphed because the, the, France threw the ball into a line-out. Dante w- was, was flexing his muscles. It was obvious where the ball was going to come to. The Aussie team lined up big forwards against him. They won the ball, drove it. Dante went straight through four big men and scored. I mean, he's wide. He's not actually that big or tall, but... I mean, bloody hell, what a force. Absolutely, and that move that got them up to the try line had started from Dante running yep. straight at Carter Gordon in the first place, so they just did it twice, and if you've got a man like Dante running at a man like Carter Gordon, 
then you might as well keep on doing it until it stops working. It worked twice in five minutes. I feel for Carter Gordon. Uh, You know, he's been chucked into this Australia team with, well, literally zero (laughs) test match experience. Young man, there's no other official fly halves in that squad. And it's sort of like, it's almost a case of hold that, please. You know, it's it's not quite a hospital pack. The interesting thing I've got, I heard from the back of that test match yesterday, and it goes back to this point I made about playing style at the moment, is Eddie Jones claiming that Australia played a completely different style for this test match than they were ever going to play. Can a test team afford to chop and change their style, particularly one that's lost five, is it five on the bounce yeah. that the yeah. Wallabies have lost? Is that great preparation for the World Cup? Maybe it is. I mean, who am I to question the coaching genius of Eddie Jones, but it just seems an inter unless it's unless that's just the line that's getting thrown out there. It seems it seems a strange tack for me. I do I do think um, yeah I, I think it's it's the usual brother from Eddie, which you're pretty used to, Al. But Ellen, the, the, the you, you mentioned the, the the forwards. I mean, when you got Big Arnold and Will Skelton in the second row, and as you said, a much improved scrummage, they were competitive in areas where they're not usually competitive. Yeah, absolutely, and perhaps. Maybe this is part of Eddie's plan that that maybe when it comes to the World Cup he will do a slightly more simplified game plan for Australia. Who knows? Um, we it was Will Skelton was was captain on the in, in Paris on Sunday. It's interesting to see how how he fares with with that leadership role. There were signs of him sort of you know going up to the younger players and kind of consoling them when things were going wrong. We mentioned Carter Gordon mm. in contrast with Ramos. You know he he missed three kicks in the first half that would have helped Australia build their score in the same Absolutely. way France had built theirs, but they weren't able to. So you'd think that you know the only way is up from zero out of three before half time. But yeah, with the likes of Angus Bell and, and Will Skelton in that pack, then perhaps that is. As it stands, the area of strength for Australia, and perhaps they should turn to a sort of an Australian style of play. I think they they need to really do need to fly half. I mean, he was, he was just awful, and as you said, he didn't build any points at all, and none of the three quick kicks were from massive distance. So it's uh, no, I I don't think that Eddie is right to say, "Oh, we're going to turn it all around." That just sounds like an Eddieism. But they do have something a, li- a little bit more up front. France, uh, um, Al, we know uh, Fiku, we know Dante. We know Damien Penno on the wing. If France get the ball wide <laughs> during this World Cup, it's good night, isn't it? Well, I mean, how many years have we been seeing this now? Like Damien Penno, sometimes I wonder what's going on through players' heads. It often seems like with Damien Penno, he doesn't know what's going on through his head. Things will just sort of unfold in front of him, and it's like, well, the world just seems to keep shaping around me somehow. He's exceptional in that way. In that, you know, how many? For for example, a couple of times in the last few years, we've seen games that seem dead and buried, and France are out of it, and Damien Penno pulls a try out of nothing. It's scary, and you know, I've heard a lot of people suggest that the the the, the fear for France is losing Intermac. Jalabert is a quality replacement. It's just needs to get that level of confidence with them. But I'll tell you what, just talking in general terms, based on the back of what we saw on Friday night, look, look at how I'm going to pull what I've speak, spoken about and what Elgin's spoken about there together. is The interest level in that opening game of the Rugby World Cup, it's already going to be a cracker because it's Friday night, prime time, going to be on ITV in this, this part of the world. It's already had everything. But the way that New Zealand got humbled by South Africa, they've been bitten. So they're wounded, they have to come back mm. They're playing against France who, as Elgin points out Gave their fans something to cheer for at home like, Honestly, I, Steve, you've been to every World Cup Like, Can you remember an opening game that has this much excitement, electricity about it? Uh, absolutely not, no, it's, it's just huge And you wonder what sort of size stadium they would need To take everyone who wanted to go in it I'm just looking back, I mean 
it, it, one of the things is you do get uh, you kick off early. Usually in the World Cup, they they went they gone away from explosive start. I mean, they had All Blacks versus Tonga in two thousand and eleven the explosive start thing because then they think well there's going to be better games further on down the line but as you say to set the tone in front of live terrestrial TV is, is unbelievable are we all going to be there? Uh, I will be in Bordeaux in anticipation of Wales' first match. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll be there. I'll be there for that one. Well, uh, can't uh, wait, uh, lads. It was. Uh, it's going to be absolutely sensational. The next day, England are playing, which is relatively sensational, and then uh, Scotland and South Africa. So, what, what, what a what a start! What a start! We'll all be on our backsides after three days. Um, there was another game at Twickenham. Uh, Elgin, you, you and I were there. The first five eight minutes when England went eight nil up. They ran the ball back and forth. Ford was trying to boss it, so people were steaming in, and then they switch a switch a play, etc. Our fond hopes of the, uh, caused by that pretty much dynamited almost by half time, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. There was a, a torrential downpour of rain that had people pitch side running back uh, higher up in their seats, which, which perhaps affected proceedings thereafter. Because after that, suddenly. It was that that spell towards the late end of the first half where there were just mistakes after mistakes and Fiji's line that wasn't going great and and, and it was eight three at half time wasn't it and there didn't seem to be much happening with the exception of Fiji's try that they had ruled out which was a mm. precursor for something we would see later when Celestina Ravatemada broke through brilliantly up through midfield found Waisei Naithalevu but the pass was forward but then three minutes into the second half they did exactly the same again mm. with uh, in a slightly different position and. Thereafter, it was just a case of, in a way that people perhaps might have predicted, when it came down to who had the ability to break the game open with a slight gap and a bit of good handling, it was Fiji who had more tools in the box than England did. When it, when it well, came they, to had, it. they had, I don't think England had a box, but with, <laughs> with tools, in, did they? But the, 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 we've, we're complaining about uh, rugby being all box kicking, too much kicking, and the, the old individual brilliance has gone out of it and the ability to create tries in the backs. Blimey, some of those Fijians were out of this world, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, Ravitamada, who had a shaky start because he was the one that gave Johnny May the outside for, for England's try and you thought, oh, this could be yeah. this could be a bad day for him. And then after that, everything he touched turned to gold. He, he did the he same returned to the Johnny. Fever, yeah. Yeah, he did <laughs> the same to Johnny May down the side and found Anayathalevu's supporting run. He had, he was busting more of a gut to get there than the England defenders were. Mm. And then in a similar situation, uh, you had from from that scrum in the second half where where Fiji sort of under pressure went down the blind side and Vinaya Hambosi the other wing just caught the England forwards napping Ben Earl was guarding there and just sort of dozed off and and Hambosi just picked up and went and, and he was away and it was just that that slight speed of thought that ability to see the the gaps around the breakdown that that made the difference really. I'll, we've got to come on to England in a minute, but they're just um, the same question I posed to Elegant really. There, there was some. You, you think that Fiji weren't quite as strong up front as I thought they were, they were, were fine. But isn't it lovely to see creative stuff in, in, in the Fijian tradition and, and almost in a way that rugby sometimes could be in the old days? Well, it's an interesting point, this, because Simon Raiwalui, the head coach, after the game said, listen, whenever anyone think talks about Fiji, they think it's all offloading all the deck. They think it's sevens. Hmm. But actually, the basis of this game was one up front I think the scrum was not as neat as Fiji would like it and I still think if England were to glean any positives from this game it's that their scrum is still alright it's mm. still functioning okay but Fiji get loose ball from their own scrum they can create a try from it which is what happened late in the second half but 
the basis of this game was Fiji just got over the game line. Now, what you can talk about as well is, okay, I feel a bit sorry for referee Jaco Piper because everyone's got GPS strapped to them to, to measure the distance. He was just walking shuttles between the 10-metre lines in that <laughs> first half because it was box kick after box kick after knock-on after knock-on. You could have strapped his uh, his GPS to a snail and you would have got the same data, I think, from, from that first half. But in the second one, Fiji got over the game line when Fiji have got front football like that, they can have a little bit of magic. But the thing is, is that it was that momentum that was getting the tries in the second half. So it's it wasn't all just streaming through or or sidestepping someone or going through. It was just England couldn't live with the constant reloading of that Fiji attack. And I'll tell you what, I, I'm in, I'm going to throw it back to Elgin here because obviously you're you're following Wales for a large part of the beat at the Rugby World Cup. What do you think their takeaways will be from that game? Because it seems like with the rise of Ndrua in Super Rugby. That they've, as well as the superstars that we've got playing all around the world for Fiji, there's a core of guys that have played together week in, week out, that have been conditioned together, and they've got a bit of structure around them. So that when you see someone like Caleb Muntz playing 10, who can kick, who looked like he wasn't going to miss kicks on Saturday as well, when you can structure a game around a player like that, suddenly are Fiji looking more dangerous than when they've seen them in years in the past? I think the first thing Wales will be thinking is Celestino Ravitamada isn't even the first choice wing and he was man of the match because you've got mm. Tua Sova to come back in possibly and Vinicolo wasn't playing either. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Bottia to come back in in the back row who was their starting inside centre four years ago now he's their starting <laughs> open side flanker. It was clear that there was a clear attacking framework when Fiji had the ball they had their their three forwards in a pod at first receiver like you always see and then you often had Semi Randrandra running out the back as uh, as the option there so there was a clear plan and there was a clear idea of what they wanted to do with ball in hand it wasn't from that that they they gleaned their chances that was just how they sort of went about their business and as I mentioned earlier it was those bits where you just doze off slightly and leave a gap that the, the try that was ruled out was quite similar because Ellis Genge was sort of tracking around the back of the ruck and thought quite late on, oh, I'll hit this and see what happens. And as he hit it, the ball came out straight away. And suddenly, Ravitam Arder at first receiver sees Oli Chesson by himself uh, with quite a bit of space around him and steps inside and goes away. So you just have to be, Wales will just know that they have to be on their metal around around those rucks whenever Fiji get the ball because they've got so many players that can just break through there at any one moment. Come on to England next but one. But as this, this these matches have gone on, the, the, the uh, summer series or warm-up matches... The crowd have, have, have descended to another level of resignation and also anger. Every match, on a, we walk along the, the concourse back to where we work in the press room, there's been more and more or, and sharper and sharper anger about it. And people are really, really cheesed off. People were saying, oh, look, we enjoyed watching Fiji. What the earth is going to happen at the World, at the World Cup? I think basically... What the, the way things are needed, not Steve Borthwick coming out to say, oh, uh, we're doing our best, we're working hard, and then a dead silence from Twickenham. It needed someone from Twickenham and needs it even today to come up with a megaphone and lift morale, tell people to be, to be you know, to go to France in good heart, blah, blah, blah. At the moment, the air of resignation and the lack of noise from anybody is unbelievable. That, that that that's a kind of off-field thing. Al, you've mentioned scrum. I don't think you thought England were dominant, but they were they were decent. Where else w- did they have anything to uh, make a hole in the coming World Cup? Again, well, l- never mind against Fiji, but against New Zealand. Context is important here because we can't ignore what England's group is like. 
because England's group is the draw three years ago has helped them massively here so their biggest game is Argentina but they can lose that and, and go through if they win their other games if they look alright in their other games they'll go through and then they get a quarter final against I mean the other pool is fascinating because Fiji are in the mix with Wales and Australia and we've just talked about two of those at least the fun thing is is that we can't really predict where that one's going to go similar to Pool B with uh, Scotland, South Africa and Ireland I mean what the hell is going to happen with that group so England are helped by the draw that they've got they can almost and obviously you, as an England fan you don't want to hear this but they could lose the first game mm. against Argentina and still come out alright is that papering over the cracks because for the first time I think ever in my job I thought oh Vox Pops would be interesting wouldn't they <laughs> like actually if, if, for those that don't know Vox Pop like going out and speaking to people it's you know it's almost the Daz doorstep challenge kind of thing is going out and asking uh, fans what they make of it because the rancor is real once you get past the prices that people are paying for tickets and the fact that it's jammed tomorrow yet again, it's that the rugby that they're seeing isn't even entertaining and they're still losing. You get all that, you can really feel a sense of something. So England can stumble their way through the Rugby World Cup group. Is that firing people up? Is that a plan for the future? It'd be interesting to know because I've made a point of also speaking to some former players, which is why I brought up style of play here. And one of the things that we've been talking about is England are so married to this almost statistics-based style of play where the ball goes up in the air and you try and feed off scraps and you want to have solid everything else. That's fair enough if it's if it's bearing fruit, but at the moment, people don't seem to be on the same page. A lot of former players and current players I've spoken to are talking about the lack of a secondary playmaker, and it's interesting that the only time I saw the England fans getting on their feet for England was when, at a panic, almost, it felt like Marcus Smith was at fullback and there was a second playmaker on the field and it felt like England were trying to put the ball through their hands. That felt almost like a, a roll of the dice. We've seen Freddie Stewart start at 15 game after game after game after game and for all the things he's good at in the air when it's not teaming down with rain is he's not a secondary playmaker and if England are going to change things now it almost asks the question what have they been doing for months? And that's the mentality that fans are taken in to the start of this World Cup. It's not a great place to be right now. I, I think uh, uh, Freddie Stewart, you almost feel painful assessing him because he's such a great, or he was a great fielder of the ball and had a, such presence. He actually dropped th- three of the first four balls and he does not have a game apart from that. God, God bless the lad. Middle of the Six Nations on a horrible pitch somewhere, maybe, but you know he's not going to win the World Cup for England. Elgin, was it their worst performance? And where could you see the foundation stones of some kind of different approach? As Al mentioned there about that kind of roll of the dice with Marcus Smith, as you were saying that, I was thinking back to what it used to be like when Wales would bring James Hook on and they would just go, oh, go on, James, do something fancy. (laughs) And uh, he he would never... Never re- Well, obviously, throughout his career, he did get chances from the start, but it, there was a, a, a frequent sense throughout his career that it was just, oh, we'll throw him on and he'll, he'll turn it around. And he did it sometimes, and he didn't do it other times. What was nice to see from Marcus Smith, and sometimes he does get you know, a bit of abuse online for that, that, that big celebration he did when he scored, but it was, it was nice to see a bit of passion or something along those lines. You know? Afterwards, I think, in the press conferences, you know, Steve Baltic's just natural demeanour, I think a lot of us sit there thinking it would be quite nice if there was sort of an admittance that actually England fans are do think that this might be the, the lowest ebb in the in the country's rugby history. You know, they England, no matter how bad they've been in the past, 
have always found a way to beat the teams that are outside of the rugby championship in the Six Nations. And with the exception of a, an uncapped match against Canada 30 years ago, that is. But here, they finally came a cropper to a team from, from outside the so-called Tier 1 nations, um, to use that phrase. I know of at least one rugby fan who had a ticket for the quarterfinal that he thought England would be in and has since offloaded it just because mm. I think even if England get there, he's not particularly keen about seeing what they do. The mm. thing I would say is that if they do make it out of the group, no matter how they make it out, then obviously they still have a chance of doing something because we saw that with England in 07. I, I mean, France in 2011 basically just stopped listening to their coach and they had Morgan Parrott at fly half and they had no discernible approach to anything on the field and yet somehow they got to the final and lost 8-7 and probably should have won. So if they do make it through somehow... Anything could happen, but now there are big question marks over whether they make it through at all. Uh, let me just ask you uh, w- uh, w- about one individual and one, well, and the lack of an England defence. Kevin Sinfield, it must be one of the most uh, nicest, most selfless, most gritty, most dedicated friends anyone could ever have. Absolutely, yeah. And he's the also, obviously, in his spare time, I don't mean that at all, but he's England's defence coach. That's what he's there for. Hmm. And are we now putting question marks against him or has he just not managed to sort it out yet or is it the fault of the players or what? Because defence is absolutely rank. It has to be discussed for sure because, I mean, even by the dint of the fact that England head coach Steve Borthwick mentioned defence several times, he refused to be pulled on whether it was a system failure or individual errors. He just kept saying we were slipping off tackles, we need to write that, we'll be working very, you know, as, as you can imagine, we'll be working very hard and blah, blah, blah as if we haven't been doing that for months. It, it needs to be addressed. Kevin Sinfield had huge success in a, ver- a year and a half with Leicester Tigers because they were part of a rebuild. And that Leicester Tigers team, if, if I'm sorry if you you know start drinking now, bring up team identity before, it was a very clear style of play for Leicester Tigers under Steve Borthwick. Kevin Sinfield came in for the 18 months of that and it paid huge dividends. It is not working for England right now and maybe it's a question of expertise at this level possibly is something that has to be discussed when we're talking about a test team because you know, 18 months in, in rugby union and a failed tenure at Leeds Rhinos is what we've got in the back pocket for this one. So commands huge respect. I think you have to ask a question as well is about the rapport amongst this team and it's there's so many people that need to put their hands up when we're talking about the performance of this England team because it's almost not a surprise that England had to go back to basics and try and undo all of the work that had been done before and start over again. It doesn't seem to be working in a short, short period of time, short-ish period of time. Meanwhile, by the way, Simon Raiwaloui with Fiji has had shorter mm, uh, as his tenure as head coach and it seems to be working for them, albeit the, you know, they've, the gap between where they were and the ceiling, uh, the amount of talent that they've got, they're able to reach that. But England have talent. That's the thing. So where is the breakdown here? Is it that... Players don't like the messages they're getting and aren't listening to them. Are the messages not good enough? Can you get past that if everyone's on the same page and you turn around and go, you know what, this is going to be grim, but we're going to get through it. And if we're all on the same page, we're going to play much better. They don't seem to have that level of cohesion yet. And it's a question mark of why they're like that. Because if if you throw one coach under the bus and go, oh, well, it's Kevin Sinfield, so we're going to have to change all that, I don't think it's magically going to get better. Mm. So how do we get to... It's a, it's a huge question. I don't think we could possibly answer it here. But how do you get from where things are now to having a level of cohesion or everyone just singing off the same page and just playing a style of rugby that works? Because at the moment, there are just too many gaps. 
Okay, um, the homeland um, law has benefited Fiji enormously. Also benefited Samoa, who came really, really close, Elgin, to uh, to Ireland and could, could have won. Uh, you never sort of thought they were going to hold on, but they looked much improved with their influx of players. Is this another thorn in England's side that we should start worrying about? Now, uh, now yes. Uh, in the the pouring rain of Bayonne's Stadion Dorje, they you know they were one line out away from from beating Ireland. Jordan Taufu were off the bench and uh, having started the match with you know, Stephen Lewitur, Theo McFarlane, Chris Furry. Those, those are all great players that are very familiar to, to Gallagher Premiership fans. And uh, like I say, yeah, towards the end of the game, if they could have nailed the set piece they had that that line out five minutes out with two minutes to go they had Lima Sopoanga shortly before that kicking dead with a penalty so two guilt edge chances late on to, to snatch that win yes it wasn't Ireland at their best it wasn't a first choice Ireland team but even just to come that close to beating any Ireland team and, and an Ireland team many of whom are going to the World Cup then suddenly now yes Samoa are another team that England will have to worry about you mentioned the rule of the players that are that have been able to re-qualify after a stand-down period. I've already mentioned Lima Sopoanga at 10. Often it is a, a controlling 10 that the likes of Fiji and Samoa need, and mm-hmm. they, they have someone like mm-hmm. him now. They also had Christian Leliafano on the bench, who's obviously done that job for Australia before, and he could play 12 as well. And then, you know, I already mentioned some of the forwards, but to go with Paul Allo, Emil, the tight head prop, you know, they've got Vui, Theo McFarland, who's basketball-style passing player we, we, we all enjoy in the Premiership, mm. to go with Fritz Lee and Stephen Luatour in, in the back row. Those are very good players that if Silala Mapusua can, can get them all you know, playing off the same sheet, then suddenly, yes, they're, they're a big challenge for England too. For years in, uh, in the Times and Sunday Times and also Rugby World, we've battered on for years about what, what the world game is missing by undervaluing, underfunding the, these teams. Okay, they've finally got the homeland thing. Still a lot of ground to cover. But uh, uh, the, what, what, the reason I'm even more excited about this, uh, even more excited than, than the box and the blacks, etc., is that it could be, we could see a vision of where rugby could be in eight, in four, eight, eight, eight years, exactly. providing the, 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 the not extra finances, providing the finances are equal for everybody. Interestingly, Simon Raiwalui, the Fiji head coach, talked about this after the game and he said, look, it's great. Like, look at the improvements that are being made. Um, he made a point of talking about funds that have been made available from World Rugby and they've got High Performance Centre now in, in Fiji that they've been using. There's, there's almost more consistent work to identify talent Fiji have never lacked for talent, that's for yeah. sure. But being able to keep a handle on it better than before, and he says, you know, things can and will and should improve even more than now. And it, the excitement level was the sort of the the raising of the floor in that we could. We're all talking about how competitive this Rugby World Cup could be because the the top six, seven, eight nations in the world are all pretty exciting. <laughs> Current England performances aside, but actually, it's it's everyone else seems to be raising the game now. The the big question marks about that will be the team that have got amateur and semi-professional players in it they will still struggle Romania being parash- dropped into pool B seems almost cruel at this point with the level of play that they've got at the moment but certainly everyone else it's it's something to be excited about for sure Al, uh, you're older you're the country of your birth I was in Scotland last weekend uh, sorry last Friday they are daring not to dream daring to hope well it's interesting, for the last outing before they head to France against Georgia at home, you thought, okay, 
Let's see where they are. Just you know, let's let's see if the, how high morale can get just before leaving the country. Halftime, it was six 0 to Georgia, and you thought, oh no, like is could this be the most Scottish performance of all time? Second half, not a breeze, but they, they played more like themselves. They got their five tries by just playing the style of rugby that's that suited them and and being smart about it. And certainly, yes, Scotland head head to a rugby World Cup more confident than they've ever been. But again, we come back to this draw, and it's. A, what a cracker of a first game to come, by the way, because if we're excited about France versus New Zealand, I think we we all have every right to be excited about Scotland versus South Africa as well, because it should, if everything goes to plan, mm. should be a phenomenal game of rugby mm. and very exciting. Scotland, though the intrigue for them will be right through the Rugby World Cup pool because there are just so many... I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be heading to Scotland versus Ireland um, later on in that pool, and that game is going to be unbelievable. I mean... Staking everything on a test match almost to see who who ends up going through, and that that pool is phenomenal. So yes, there is confidence, but with the Scots, there's always there's a, there's always a hint of there's always a hint of caution behind it, and perhaps a few tears ready to fall out in case they're needed. But yeah, certainly certainly a good result to end. So well spoken, lads. Uh, all the warm up matches are done, and England's warm down matches are also are also done. I'm going to ask the lads now and put them on the spot. And uh, this will rebound on you massively when uh, if we get it all wrong. Who are the favourites for the World Cup? We'll, we'll let uh, we'll let Al cogitate and go to Elgin first. France for me still because just the wave of support behind them, the thrilling attack play we saw against. Admittedly, you know it's, it is in Australia that have, have now lost five games in a row, but we knew that was there, and they can. We've seen them do that to the All Blacks and we've seen them do it to everyone we've seen them do it to devastating effect against England at Twickenham in the Six Nations if they can sort their scrum which I'm sure sure they will be able to which was the, the one surprise weakness mm. then they have just about everything going for them um, and as long as you know Mr Dupont can stay fit as well and he did get off uh, off the field after an hour there was a slight hiccup where it looked like he might have hurt um, hurt himself in one incident but he's, he's made it through to that first game and the tournament that you know he is set to bestride as as the man of the tournament. It does seem to be pointing, if if all goes their way, pointing France's way. But obviously there are three very good teams and a few others that can shock people that could that could uh, upset that particular apple cart. But I will go for France right now. France for Elgin. Oh, I've changed my mind on this uh, several times over the last couple of weeks. Uh, a few weeks ago, I considered putting money on the All Blacks and just thinking. You know, for all the all the bleating about the way that they'd played rugby in the last year, losses to France and Ireland. You know, there was a lot of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And I thought, you know what? It's a World Cup. New Zealand will come through. I just think that potentially they might get ground down by the challenge, the emotional challenge of playing as well. And I think South Africa are just travelling really well. So I think, oh, I think South Africa are in a very good place right now. I, I'd love to love it to be France South Africa in the final. I'm going to go for South Africa as well by the tiniest margin, and uh, so much there's so much the water to flow flow down the Seine till it comes up. But I just think South Africa by a tiny margin in what whoever they play is bound to be a great final. Next up, we name our god or goddess of the week. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh. You, you want my God or Goddess of the Week? Yes, please. I am going to go with, uh, I mentioned him earlier, Simon Rival-Louis. He's always been an outspoken fella about what's going on in, in the Pacific Islands and, and the good that's being done there. He headed out as high-performance coach and then when Vern, Vern Cotter packed his bags, bags and off he went, he stepped into the breach at short notice and things seem to be tra- travelling well for Fiji and... He's just he'll answer any question you ask him about what's going on with Fiji out there and that's that's very refreshing, but it's also comes from a team that we just love to watch and do not moan about the amount of time he's had with the team because well, since time immemorial, the time that these these teams have had together before World Cups has been shorter and shorter. So yeah, I just think what a fantastic job and, and I mean the Fiji team as a whole, just they deserve every second of joy that they got from that result against England, their first ever win over them. In fact, Simon Rybalubi, your choice, Al, is fated wherever he's been. He's been, you know, he was at Newport, then he went to Paris. He's seen as an absolute giant wherever he's been, so that's a good one. I'm going to stay with Fiji as well because Luke Ntagi up front, tight head prop, you wouldn't call him svelte. In fact, the reason that Fiji's, it's like having four men in the front row because he's the size of two, but I just thought he had, he even showed around the field. He he hung on like grim death and he's given Fiji something that they've never had in previous World Cups. So big Luke Ntagi, uh, the tight head prop, is my god. Elgin. Well, I'm delighted Dims has gone for Simon Rywillery. As you said, uh, Steve, he was a a legend at Rodney Parade back when I was a little seven, eight-year-old boy watching rugby there. And Mm. uh, as a thank you for my dad helping out with the Fiji team when they played Wales on the medical side, he actually gave me one of his training tops as a gift, Simon, and it remains the biggest item of clothing I've ever seen in my life. And it still doesn't fit me, and I'm six foot four now, and it still does not fit me. But uh, I, I, rather than Simon, I'm going for Angus Bell, the Australia prop, who, yeah, Aus- scrummaging has never been regarded as Australia's strong point, but... We had the sight of Weenie Artonio and, and the other members of France's pack going backwards at the Stade de France on Sunday. But in addition to that, Angus, who is, I think, something like six foot three and 20 stone, you, you, you don't miss him on the field. He was also phenomenal as a ball carrier. So he's got both aspects nailed thus far. So that's something for Fiji and Wales uh, to look out for in the World Cup. That's it for now. Thank you for listening, everybody. Next week, we're going to have a colossal pre-World Cup pod on Monday as normal and before departing for the big one so keep with us thanks for listening Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter that's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.